and welcome to the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city, or on one of our beloved radio syndicate partners across the nation. Across the nation? Yeah, across the nation. the nation. Or on our podcast at greenmajority.ca. I am David Hostetter in studio with Stefan Hostetter and Saren Kaster on the dials. And we're going to talk about Extinction Rebellion, which has been going on for two weeks now. It's really getting hot out there. And um, also Jason Kenney's conspiracy theory. Yes. And some potential renewable energy in Alberta. First, Stefan is going to... What do you got on the, the elections that are about to happen there, Stefan? Yeah, so I should say that the fall uprising of Extinction Rebellion has been going on for two weeks. Extinction Rebellion itself, uh, you know, a couple, a little longer than that. About a year. Yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, so this is our last uh, show mm. before, before the election that happens next Monday. Mm. And... And, you know, this is just a general call out uh, to please, please go vote. You want people to exercise their democratic right. I want people to exercise their democratic right. Uh Um, And uh, the more people that that do so, I think the better off we're going to be. This is one of these elections that actually is ridiculously close. Mm. Um, You know, right now the polling numbers have have a minority government quite uh, quite likely, um, like very likely, but Mm. which could mean that which could mean that even some of the smaller candidates down to see there's 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 scenarios in which even like a, a, a green party with four seats could end up being the balance of power mm. um and and so every single riding really does matter in this election mm. and 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 how and and who ends up being that balance of power could could really sway the the next you know couple could be as little as one year obviously but hopefully the 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 coalition would be able to govern for longer than that um and and so it could be the next four years and just as an aside, the ability to be able to push a minority government in directions that you need to is dramatically, I think, more powerful than the ability to do so in a majority government. So mm-hmm. if we do get a minority government, I expect to see a huge wave of activism pushing for, for better uh, standards, uh, especially uh, around around climate. It's easier for the regular people to pull that lever well exactly because the because if you're if you're in some of the smaller ridings you you're, you're in the ridings that really have the have the power the vote flipping you're able to and, and so you, now multiple parties are all vying for your for your support so like man if we can get uh, i think there's a there's a possibility that we are given a incredible opportunity on the 21st and and the necessary need to go out and vote is huge um it, the other thing is that people have already done this uh the 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 advanced polling that it of last weekend uh, had a 29% increase over the federal election of 2015. And the federal election for 2015 actually was a was a decent turnout. It was it was not as pathetic as it often is. Mm. Um, you know, it still wasn't amazing, but it was, it was something. So the fact that the early numbers were 29% higher, that's an increase of one almost 1. 1.6 million people. <clears throat> I'm sorry, almost 1 million people extra uh, who, who came out and voted uh, on the 29th. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, 29% of people. And it's it, that's huge. Like a 1 million people, that's that, what is that? Out of a 30 million country, that's that's a that's a, a meaningful set of people who are already out. Uh, and so the numbers are good. It looks as if maybe people are despite just how much of a dumpster fire this this campaign has been. Mm. Uh, it looks like people are at least engaged in the issues um, and and in going to trying to try to change so. Mm. Please please vote um, because there's a we have an opportunity to to really make a make a real difference, so with that, uh, you know, throw it Can I just I just really quickly on that uh, shoehorn my comments on the on that part, uh, part right here. One is just time for my weekly reminder that Justin Trudeau's liberals are not the left. Their rhetoric is center left. Their actions on many cases are center right, and I think that's important to remember. Uh, all the time because we don't have three flavors of left in this country. Um, That's simply not true. The second reason why that's important is because Trudeau's opened the door to uh, partnerships this time around. He's also told you, you can vote who you actually want to this time around. Just reminding everyone. And and I would say that if you do want to quote unquote vote in a way that you think is strategic, um, the, to, to do so, there are a bunch of resources online, uh, including uh, VoteWell.ca um, and some others, which will show you actually who is uh, who is close to 
it will tell you actually what you're writing, the two candidates that may be fighting for your particular writing. So you actually can, you can pay a little more attention to particularly, you know, who who, who historically has a shot in your writing and, and, and make that decision if you want to do that instead. But it's not always the obvious, it's not the sort of, the rhetoric has always been like, there's only two parties you can vote for, but that's not the case in a many, in many, many writings. So you could, if, if you can find, you can find out what the actual polling of your own play, your own space is, uh, and that is a, is a great resource to know exactly what what, what you're looking at because mm-hmm. that could be very different especially if you, you know, recently moved into your neighborhood and don't know say who your MP was last time mm-hmm. uh, so with all of that said uh, we have a we have a, a whole bunch of Extinction Rebellion stuff so I want to get to that let's let's jump into the the fall so it is now day 11 of Extinction Rebellion's autumn uprising that has been occurring on every continent and in dozens and dozens of major cities across the world The decentralized nature of the rebellion means that different actions employing diverse tactics have been springing up at various locations over the past two weeks, but always with a code of strict nonviolence, however violent the reaction to the protests may be. Since October 7th, there have been tent communities going up in the streets, complete with kitchens, free food, performances from singers, actors, dancers, and bands, lessons about climate change, and debates about solutions, Talks or readings by writers, activists, and scientists in temporary forests uh, giving away potted saplings. People seemingly going out and just planting trees in public spaces, hanging banners from buildings and bridges, suspending themselves from bridges and climbing on top of them, dressing up in magnificent costumes and parading through the streets, holding funeral marches with pallbearers holding coffins for Mother Earth, as well as funerals for future generations planting seeds and trailing brightly painted lifeboats, blocking the entrance to New York City Hall through seated meditation, covering themselves in fake blood and lazing their almost naked bodies over the steps of the Greek parliament or on the asphalt in front of governments and banks, kneeling in front of an Irish coal market build, coal marketing building with their hands covered in fake blood, spraying fake blood on government buildings, projecting videos onto the sides of government buildings, marching through traffic in torrential rain, cleaning up beaches, playing haunting music and holding pictures of climate crisis victims at corporate offices, camping out front of environment ministries, holding vigils for slain activists, speaking out the names of all 164 activists who died last year defending their lands from corporate extraction, people marching and then pretending to die with the names of dead activists on their bodies, huge groups of people pretending to die en masse, people standing on blocks of ice with nooses around their necks, locking themselves to vehicles, sculptures, buildings, and infrastructure, gluing themselves to the roads, blockading shopping districts demanding an end to consumerism, holding tributes and silent processions in honor of the 47 indigenous people killed over the past month in the Cauca region of Colombia, pretending to suffocate in clouds of colorful gas in front of an oil conference, holding a birthday party for the IPCC 1.5 report, Dozens and dozens of mothers holding up their babies together and nursing them in the streets. People holding hunger strikes in front of their parliaments. A Paralympian climbing on top of a passenger plane. Others entering planes and preventing their liftoff. People entering subways and theatrically demonstrating to fellow passengers. Turning bridges into urban gardens. Covering themselves in oil and gluing straws to their legs and lying on tarps with images of dead sea creatures. Dancers staging a standoff between Mother Earth and her enemies, in which two Earth fairies subdue a troop of demons with a veil of blue cloth. People chaining themselves by the neck to park railings and sending the keys to their town hall, gluing themselves to to stock exchanges and coal plants. Many of these actions, as you can tell, had specific points, like blocking a Google office to try to convince them to not let climate deniers on YouTube whereas others were only meant to grab the attention of the everyday public or to create a spiritual connection between suffering people and animals everywhere. The rebellion is, of course, fighting for a global collective awakening, and the rebels are putting their bodies on the line in solidarity with those who have already been killed simply for standing up for the land and are more and more fiercely yet uh, yet peacefully demanding an end to a system bent on ecocide. Their demands are that the government tell the truth about the science, attain net zero emissions by 2025, and set up democratic citizen assemblies who will instruct the government on how to achieve this. Thousands of people have been arrested. 
which is the point since it is the visible sacrifice of freedom that uh, they theorize is meant to give cogency to the effort to make it clear on how much uh, make it clear how much ordinary people are prepared to put on the line for the cause as the autumn uprising has been much bigger and more collectively anticipated than what happened in the spring it has also been met with much harsher policing both from the police as well as the public police for instance randomly snapped one man's finger like a carrot in london confiscated tents, sometimes with children still in them, and even took away a wheelchair as well as the battery pack for someone's mobility device. They also decided on Monday the 14th to officially ban any Extinction Rebellion gathering in London, which was immediately defied as well as appealed for its legitimacy. Under a Public Order Act of 1986, the London police are allowed to ban a protest if a senior officer thinks it could cause, quote, serious disruption to the life of the community. As a result, this morning, protesters in defiance of the ban were quickly cleared away by police in London's Oxford Circus, although they continue to gather elsewhere. In Brussels last week, police sprayed tear gas directly into people's eyes and brutally detained them on the cobblestone streets. In Paris, however, the police were not violent, in great contrast to their crackdown against the yellow vests over the past year. Some opine that it is a deliberate police tactic to try to divide solidarity between the two movements, but there was a yellow vest contingent present in the Paris XR demonstrations. And yesterday in London, a mob of commuters themselves became violent defenders of law and order when they dragged two protesters off the subway trains that they had stalled, threw them to the ground, and attacked them as a group on the floor of the platform. Protesters had unraveled a banner that said, business as usual equals death, before commuters grabbed the banner, threw coffee cups at them, at the protesters, and yanked them off the train. A few men in particular were attacking people in the crowd as well, who appeared to be XR documenters filming the action, while some other commuters, commuters were defending the documenters uh, from their attackers. XR spokesperson Claire Farrell was soon on a BBC morning show solemnly talking about what had happened. She said, quote, The people who are in danger are the protesters. It was a delay to public transport network, but the people who have been harmed are the protesters who made themselves vulnerable by taking this act. I think that people are doing this out of desperation because they understand that we are so very vulnerable to this situation. She pointed out that the action was no different from what happened in April, but that this time the public has become much angrier. Adding, quote, when people talk to us about civilizational collapse, which we all have heard this from many, many experts, I wonder what people think civilizational collapse looks and feels like, because I don't think it's going to be a calm situation for people to live through, and that's clearly what we're facing. The IMF, Mark Carney, credible people, we don't have a fringe opinion here. This is what you do when you think that absolutely everything is at stake. What would you do if you knew that your children were in a burning building? You would break down the door. It wouldn't be pretty. You wouldn't do it in a way where everyone said, oh, that was nice and calm. It's not. It's an, it's an emergency, and we have seen no sense of the emergency in this country since the government admitted that there was one in May. Zero recognition of the, face, of the fact that we're facing a total disaster. The tactics that we've chosen to use are peaceful, nonviolent, and disruptive. When pressed about the illegality of the protest, she said, quote, the people who take our actions on our protests are willing and ready to be arrested. They'll face the consequences. They don't run away. They don't cover their faces. They don't try to get away with something. The point is these people are willing to put themselves out there in harm's way because we know that we, we're all in this grave, grave risk. We understand that putting ourselves in these positions and putting ourselves out there as spokespeople is potentially dangerous for us, but what else can we do? We've been out on the streets for 11 days. There has been no response from the government apart from putting a Section 14 blanket ban on us. The police arrested a 17-year-old boy the other day for carrying some stickers in his bag. This is a very serious situation, and we're seeing a serious response. Yeah, so a couple of things that might be important to note. Um, the first, in, in case uh, this is not clear, the, the yellow vest protesters in France are distinctly different than the yellow vest protesters here in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, in, case, uh, in, case, in case that could add, I feel like that could add a significant amount of confusion. Good but, catch, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those things where it's like they both are wearing yellow vests, and that is where the similarities basically end. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the movement here is largely 
pro-oil uh, and, um, and disturbingly white nationalists. Although weren't the yellow vests in France also upset about oil prices? The, the, the yellow vests in France were were people who were uh, were uh, were unhappy with the the way that the carbon pricing was 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 impacting the the society, the mm-hmm. the austerity that was sort of being used by Macron to push a centrist uh, climate policy, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, specific, so the, the the way that the um, the work that is done uh, in like basically Macron was trying to push forward a we, this is the conversation we actually have a lot uh, on, on 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 the show about what actual climate policy can look like and in the difficulties of it and in this particular in, in this what this highlighted was how difficult it is to take on uh, climate action in a way that does not raise prices on 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 people who are who are more negatively affected mm-hmm. uh, and and his sort of centrist policies had no backups for these people who were who were dealing with this right like the, the idea, he sort of pushed forward a number of uh, you know a, pri- a higher price on, on on carbon or fuel and some other pieces like that without sort of the necessary pieces to actually p- ensure that the people who are or most affected by the problem could actually be okay, mm-hmm. and and that was sort of that sort of put the lie to the idea that this sort of you can solve this with with just you know a centrist kind of uh, pri- higher price on carbon and just presume everyone's fine because uh, a lot of people will not be fine. You have to you have to do something like you are currently here. You know, despite what everyone is, despite what the what the conservatives will have you believe about the carbon tax that's currently in place in Canada, or at least in the parts that the federal government has has been instituted, where the money goes back to to the people immediately, or like actually ahead of time in reality. And so that kind of process that does so ideally in a way that is a, that is actually you know shifting some some funds towards these people who who need this more um is is a is a very important part, aspect like you have to be giving money back to people um or else they're or else you will get meet resistance because people will not be able to afford to live mm. and so and so yeah just wanted to highlight the fact that these are very two different movements and because it'd be a little confusing uh to to wonder why the yell why the canadian yellow vests and the xr don't get along is a pretty obvious why <laughs> i think uh, i don't think they're all hanging out and having a good time there um, and then the, the second, the second thing I want to, I, I want to briefly touch on, um, and then, and then I'll, maybe we'll come back to in the, in the second break is that there's a lot of discussion in the, from the, um, in the environmental movement about the different ways that uh, different tactics that are being used. And about a couple months ago, we did cover, we did a show about sort of highlighting the difference differences between say how sunrise uh, is, is, is in the States is pushing forward things compared to how, um, you know, Fridays for Future is, is moving forward and what their sort of tactics are compared to XR. And I think now I would include um, sort of the, the more, more recent our time climate justice uh, groups across Canada and mm-hmm. how they are doing things. Uh, and, and so those, so those, those are all, they're all interesting and sort of, you sort of talk about the different ways the tactics are going on, but the, and I, th- I think all of them are necessary and important. The one thing I will say about, about, uh, about one of the XR act- actions that you listed here is I don't understand. And maybe, and if you don't, honestly, if you are, if you're, if you're someone who understands this better as a good argument, I, I'd be willing to, willing to hear an argument for it. But I don't understand the tactic of blocking the type of transportation you need everyone to use as an action to deal with climate change. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if you are like, I, I under, stopping planes, I get it. Blocking car, car related bridges. I get it. Turning cities into more walkable spaces via protest. Great. Not allowing people to use the subway, like that is literally the thing we need them to do. We need them to use the subway. Everyone, more people need to use the subway, and the subway needs to be more reliable and better, uh, and cheaper. Ideally, you know, earlier I think it was today or yesterday, um, a whole bunch of students in Chile, I think I believe it was. Um, I'll, I'll confirm at the break. Uh, came back and uh, stormed the. They were they were trying to raise. They were trying to raise the price. Uh, of of usage of the of the of the tra- public transportation by by a dollar, and these Chilean students took over the stations to let people ride for free, um, as a way to encourage people to use public transit, um, and and to me that kind of protest of 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 ensuring that more people can do it, more more access to public transit, and ideally you know like expansion of public transit clearly mm-hmm. is is like it makes more sense to me. I don't know. I think one of the things is that Extinction Rebellion does not have a um, set of actions that they're telling people to take. Yeah, they have uh, goals that they want to achieve, and these involve you know just 
putting as much out there to pressure the government as much as possible to get right. the message out there. Yeah, and I and get they it. don't tell people what to do and what not to do. Yeah, I, I do think that I think and I do think that what we'll see as extinction rebellion grows because I do believe it will continue to grow. I think as 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 the as the separation between action and. Uh, or, or lack of action and need for action continues to, to continues to spiral out of out of everything. Uh, I expect that all of these groups will continue to expand and grow, but um, but I do think that 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 the XR will have an interesting uh, it, it will, will will continue to face some interesting problems because of how decentralized and um, and 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 how anyone can just say I'm this and I'm going to go do a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, so I think that the, I think that the the that that will cause some. Uh, that's hard to scale. It's, it's as if they are all on board with this type of action. Well, exactly. But in fact, it's only a few of them. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and 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 I think that that kind of that kind of that that's the difficulty of this sort of super dispersed, super uh, you know groundswell kind of movement is that. It's both very hard to stamp down because anyone can just sort of do a thing, but it's also very hard to sort of tactically align, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, it'll be, in, I'll be sort of, it'll be interesting to sort of see how this has expands. It'll be, it'll be curious to see. Like, I do think that what's also important to note is that they do seem to be learning. You know, I think that XR has already proven uh, that they are that they are listening to to the to the to the responses to their actions and and adapting and and, and changing with the uh, with the times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be I think that'll be an interesting thing to follow. We do actually have more coverage of XR when we come back from the music break. Yes, uh, we do. But let's uh, let's go to the music break. If you think you're surprised there was violence when people were mildly inconvenienced, just wait till there's no food. Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. And welcome back to The Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM or on a radio syndicate partner, Much Loved, or on the podcast at greenmajority.ca. We're still going to continue talking about... uh, Extinction Rebellion, and specifically now how they've been portrayed and what they've said to certain media people, which has been happening more and more as they're um, um, as they become more visible. <clears throat> so, um, I mentioned before the break about uh, Claire Farrell being on the media, and indeed, XR spokespeople have been all over British television for the past two weeks being maligned with cries of the group being merely middle-class white people who can't sympathize with the lives of workers. They've also been blamed for pulling the police away from more important things who might supposedly have been able to prevent a certain stabbing uh, if they had not uh, had to police the protests, and have in general been shrieked at for being hypocrites for using umbrellas and smartphones. With yesterday's actions on the trains in particular, they have been vehemently criticized for alienating the working class, which is conceivable. But it's also safe to say that every idiot in British media is thoroughly enjoying their field day of moral outrage that an environmental group would dare disrupt their comfortable status quo while making no attempt whatsoever to understand the actual climate crisis. But the response has been even more absurd in Australia, with the Premier of Queensland calling the roadblocks reckless, irresponsible, selfish, stupid, sinister, dangerous, and designed to harm posting a picture of two small young people lying on the street with a heading of New Laws to Combat Extremist Protesters, announcing the fast-tracking of a law that proposes two years in jail or a fine of up to $6,000 for possessing a locking device. Queensland Senator Pauline Jones said that people should use cattle prods on the activists. A radio host said drivers should run them over. And Home Affairs Minister and the Home Affairs Minister said they were anti-establishment fringe dwellers who should be given mandatory jail sentences and welfare cuts. And New South Wales police have put in place a uh, bail conditions that were previously reserved for biker gangs. One Guardian interview with various Australian protesters, however, um, seems to show that these people are perfectly ordinary and not by any means regular protesters or activists but have been driven to act by what they see as the immensity of the problem. For its part, 
Extinction Rebellion is interested in building bridges, not merely annoying people. XR protesters are so interested in building bridges, in fact, that they're letting themselves be shouted at in the early morning by the, by the proudly imbecilic Piers Morgan, a man with the near infinite density of a black hole, and trying to reason with the admitted Brexit liar Nigel Farage. Morgan's main angle is to yell about protesters owning televisions, while not realizing that they're hypocrites for that, while himself not realizing that he is a social parasite, pointlessly mocking people who care about life on Earth with the air of a child who doesn't realize his controller is not plugged into his video game. Some XR protesters go so far as to chant, we love the police, on occasion in order to show solidarity with the wider society. It has been pointed out, however, that such practices could actually turn off people of color from joining them. One member said of XR to CNN, quote, it does have a race issue. As a person of color, I cracked a joke before my first Extinction Rebellion meeting and said I'll definitely be one of two, and I was. The way Extinction Rebellion works is that you rely on the police to treat you within the law and with respect, and people of color, they can't guarantee that, so maybe they can't sacrifice themselves for the cause in the same way. XR held a People's Assembly in Trafalgar Square yesterday, in which thousands of people voted on the directions XR should take. Three of the top five are reaching out to people of color, low-income people, and the working class, focusing on actions that target the powerful, and sticking to actions that keep the public on board. In Toronto on the 7th of October, XR protesters blocked the Bloor Viaduct Bridge for several hours with the police arresting 20 people and charging them with mischief. On that same day, I was out again to block the Young and Dundas intersection for 15 minutes with Sherry DeNovo and others not entirely affiliated with XR, including a group of silent dancers acting like woodland creatures, as the Reverend verbally countered a man who was yelling the whole time about climate change being a lie during our mostly silent protest. I saw one man thrown to the ground by a police officer, but I don't know what it was about, and a few days earlier I joined a group of protesters after the climate march to block at traffic at college and university for four hours with no arrests made, but with some of the police being quietly aggressive and rude. Uh, also grabbing a little boy at one point, which was uh, thoroughly um, displeasing to the very, very young protesters. And protesters are continuing around the world as we speak, with XR people taking over a bridge again in Vancouver, for instance, today, after having blocked it uh, for 12 hours this past Monday. Yeah, and so clearly this is, you know, this is, a, it's the, an impressive of, of a scale, right? This is happening mm -hmm. everywhere. And, 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 and I think there's a there's a there's a there's a cool side there's a weird video uh sometimes the sometimes you get like these weird um visuals that sort of i feel like sum up some type of what's going on right now mm. and there's a video going around uh around the internet right now of a man in a suit dressed up like a broccoli being arrested mm. uh by 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 police in london mm. and it, he's just like walking down the street and they just sort of jump him <laughs> <laughs> and it's just sort of like it's it's so absurd in its imagery, mm. you know. Like he's 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 painted green. He's got a he's got a broccoli head. Like it's it's ridiculous. There is video of Dave in a giant carrot costume, and I am now suddenly concerned, Dave, for your personal safety. <laughs> <laughs> they're after the vegetables. Yeah, they're coming. Can, they're coming for your vegetables. That broccoli guy was actually also. Um, Yelled at by Piers Morgan. Oh, really? I didn't watch the video, but he went on the show. <laughs> was he in the broccoli outfit? Yeah, he was in the broccoli. Oh, wow. He, he, so, didn't, he only gave his name as Mr. Broccoli. That's, okay, man. This, this is the world, we, we live in a, we live in a absurd time. Um, and I, and I think, uh, I think part of the, part of what I've liked about a bunch of these actions have been the fact that they've brought uh, some, from fun and levity into the, into the movement, right? That's, that's sorry. Okay. That's another one of the, uh, ridiculous criticisms by people like Piers Morgan. They show these videos of hippies dancing and they're like, what is this? We, we, we people don't care about the cause. Right. They're, they're just out to, to dance and, and rave on the streets. <laughs> 
look, look at them. Their hips are gyrating. <laughs> like, he couldn't sound more of a curmudgeon. Like, yeah. he's, he's really just spewing curmudgeon vitriol, and it's just the target that changes every day. Yeah. Um, just really quickly, I just, I'm sorry, I, I do actually want to take a minute here, because I think this is important. So on the violence issue, I, uh, the, I don't recall offhand what the exact tweet was, um, but I'm pretty sure the listeners will know, and perhaps, Stefan, uh, you've got your computer there. Perhaps you'll be able to tell me as I'm speaking here. But um, Andrew Scheer recently made a threat of violence against climate protesters in Canada, and it was making the rounds. Mm. And I tweeted at CSIS and uh, the, and some other police and, and things saying, hey, this is a serious threat of violence against someone. Never mind Twitter's uh, standards. This person should be arrested. You can't threaten people with violence. But the, there is apparently a different standard for the right wing and and and, and a further another one against climate protesters that actually kind of extends to everybody, which is that if you're a social nuisance, anything is permitted against you. That's the violence that we saw on the subway train. Those weren't people that are for or against climate action. Those are people who are, how dare you inconvenience me with your nonsense it was personal indignation. So we need we need to we don't have to have it now, but as a rhetorical statement, we need to have a very serious conversation about threats of violence and about standards of how people get in tr- trouble for that. If police are going to be tackling people dressed as broccolis, but the leader of the Canadian Federal Party gets to make threats of violence against people and there are absolutely no repercussions, um, we have a serious problem here, and this is gonna this is gonna get bloody in Canada. Yeah, well, I th- I do think that well, they, well, we're going to cover a little bit actually in the fourth, the third segment about about some of the rhetoric that exists in 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 um, in Alberta, mm-hmm. which I think is really where like there are a series of numbers of I'm, I'm seriously actually somewhat concerned about environmentalist safety in Alberta, um, not to mention uh, in many other places of the world, but you know if we're talking about here in Canada, and and you know to your point, the the I do think that as we as we get like. As 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 action as the lack of action continues and the need for action uh, accelerates, which is sort of the status quo we've been living in to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not like whether or not, you know, we do have a nat, we do now have a sum of a price on carbon. And so that is that is some action. But the, the, the variance between ne- how much we need to what we're actually getting is increasing by every day. Right. Um, and and if, if you're a listener and you'd like to also tweet at a police service of your choice and ask them <laughs> if making threats of violence that are credible and apparently serious is illegal or not, um, you know, couldn't hurt. <laughs> Um, the, yeah, so like, I, I do think that as this is a, it, this is the thing that we actually covered previously when we were talking about, uh, the, the courts, uh, and how, and how courts were trying to respond to the climate crisis, uh, as, as different, as different, uh, as different groups brought, brought on, um, uh, climate suing, suing governments for not doing enough. Mm-hmm. And, and as those happened. And I think that like what we're going to see, uh, the concern that you have as the state, you know, as the state that, that, that controls the, you know, has the, has the ability to control, uh, you know, what is considered quote unquote legitimate power, right? Legitimate use of force. Uh, and again, putting those in significant air quotes, the, as you see that expand or as, you, as, as, as the, the concern for, for, for me is really that, the longer that they are not taking action that is in line with with uh, with with what everyone is learning, the more you are delegitimizing, or they are delegitimizing themselves as the as the bearer of what has to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're if you're a standard democracy in 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 in, in this world, it, you should be distinctly concerned about the level of. Uh, unhappiness and, and a level of, dis, of disillusionment, I would say, that is that is cre- increasing, especially from young people. You know, like as we see, you know, a million people hit the streets in in Canada. There was uh, what's incredible, which I think was sort of uncovered because the because the the moves on uh, uh, because of the moves from the twentieth action around the world was so was first. It does. I don't think this totally got got communicated too much. But like, as four, I think it was four million people uh, had had were in the streets for Fridays for Future and the global climate, climate strike on the twentieth, and then another another I believe it was two million people uh, came on the streets on the twenty seventh, which means that Canada with one million people protesting was one sixth of all climate protests during that time. One one sixth of all people who hit the streets to protest were Canadian. Um, during those two days, 
if you if, to use the sort of the general metrics that these are. And like and that is that is no small feat. That's that's huge. You know, and, and so to, to this is clearly something that that Canadians are, are standing up and saying they care about. And the longer that the, we aren't seeing real action from uh, from the governments, the more and more valid and the more and more uh, I think the more and more people will start seeing themselves as well. What else? What are our other options? You know, how else can we do this? It is this is a it is, you know, it is a extinction level problem. I think one of the greatest, one of the most important, uh, useful things that Extinction Rebellion is doing is bringing that term and that concept to the forefront, right? That, that this is not, that this is not just, you know, another policy. It is, it is an extinction level event. And whether or not you want to fight me on, will some humans survive? Sure. Like, I'm not like, you know, like, could a human, could some small set of humans survive a four degree warming planet? Probably. I'm not, I'm not going to bother debating that. But will it, will guaranteed other animals face extinction at that? Yes. Like, are there truly species level biodiversity questions that are in play right now that, and that even any action right now probably still won't save some of these organizations? Yes. And so that that conversation has to be, I think, in the in the public conversation. And as especially as all these places declare emergencies, you know, we just had the one here in Toronto. Uh, Canada did it uh, relatively meaningless, meaninglessly earlier this year. Obviously, Britain did it as well. Um, and in you know across the world, we've seen it everywhere. But again, you can declare an emergency, and is not the same as acting like this it is an emergency. And right now we're we're at the declaring stage, but that's not the action we need. Governments are great at declaring things. Yes, exactly, and they're not great at doing things. You know, um, and this is my this is my end of first past the post. <laughs> exactly, please. Um, and 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 as a if you're Toronto, uh, Toronto Mayor Tory listens to the show, I'm sure. Don't you know, tear down the Gardner East? Like, there's literally things we're do investing now. If we are investing in any infrastructure right now that is in, that is increasing fossil fuel use or that is that is cementing us into the need for personal vehicle transportation of that nature. You are not a climate leader. Surely we could build an amazing light rail on the, on the gardener though, once he rebuilds it. <laughs> I just have to, I have to interrupt Stephanie. If you're going to pre- keep bringing that up, you're going to have to clarify for our non trotto audience. What okay. The heck you're talking okay, about. fine. I will. So part of the gardener is a, is a raised, uh, it is a raised, um, highway that goes that that, that is goes through a part of the, well, the whole city, but the the east side of it specifically is like is like wearing down. There's it is it, there are billions of dollars need to be spent to, yeah. to basically to, nothing to has been able to happen on the east side of the waterfront of Toronto for two three decades because of this monstrosity that nobody knows what to do with. Well, we built we yeah, during the genius that was 70s urban planning, uh, maybe slightly earlier. I, I would have to check exactly when it was built. Uh, we decided that our whole waterfront should be given up to a highway. Because that makes a ton of sense, um, and so our solution is now, which again, in, in, in numbers, the statistics have shown that it's not that overly used. There's another, there's another place that 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 manages it, and it will literally cost so much money to fix. Wait, there's another place that what? The the lake shore, the another, there's a boulevard that will serve the purpose of this part of this of, oh, of the yeah. thing. It, you would not dramatically impact. Uh, transit or, or the ability to get through the city, um, but it is seen by the people in sort of the the exurbs as su- as, as this sort of war again. So it's back to the war on the car kind of urban planning mm-hmm. attacks, right? And and it's just one of these ways that like if you're declaring a climate emergency now, you have to start building the infrastructure to have a, a net zero world, and that cannot include things like this. You know, things like this buying a pipeline, uh, like it's it's like whatever you want to call it. There's so much declaration yet business as usual and it's only going to keep fueling these types of of reactions uh, across the board and until until people start seeing the reality get matched but we're running over time i do want to make sure we have time for this kenny story uh so let's go to a music break
Welcome back to the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM or on a radio syndicate partner or on the podcast at greenmajority.ca. I am David Hostetter, Stefan Hostetter. Sharon Kaster has run off to the washroom. <laughs> um, and now we're going to talk about, as Stefan mentioned before, a, an article about uh, Jason Kenney's conspiracy theory that he's adopted from Vivian Krauss. Yeah, this is and, th- and this I think is is important for a couple of, a couple of reasons. Uh, but let's dive in first. One of these. So, National Observer columnist and former Crown Prosecutor Sandy Garasino published an article on the third of October, in which she exactingly dismantles the freakishly widespread idea that the Albertan oil and gas industry is a victim of foreign-funded puppet environmentalists. Garosino notes that because what started as the conspiracy-obsessed illogical leaps of Vivian Krauss has now become official Alberta government policy, its supporters might be asked for evidence that they can't produce. She also points out that Jason Kenney, a man who never finished his undergraduate philosophy degree, has begun an official government inquiry into the conspiracist claims. But the inquiry only goes so far as looking into whether any foreign group that has expressed antagonism to the Alberta oil and gas industry has given any funding to a Canadian group that has lied about the tar sands. Thus, the parameters of Kenny's own inquiry represent a tacit admission that the main point of the theory can't actually be proven, namely that foreign groups are conspiring to choke Albertan oil, ostensibly in favor of American companies, because he isn't looking into the motives of the charities. As Garasino points out, quote, it's the suggestion that charitable dollars are diverted for a covert purpose and that multiple organizations are colluding in that deception. Therefore, the public, having been led to believe that charitable foundations are corruptly working against the public interest, is entitled to a deeper analysis of motive than the inquiry will examine. She then proceeds to provide that deeper analysis, looking into the funding data available online and discovering that every aspect of the theory is demonstrably false. Once the data is put in context, it's obvious that Canada, let alone any campaign against the tar sands, receives an extremely negligible portion of uh, global charitable funding for climate initiatives. Writing, quote, Considering that Canada is the world's fourth largest producer and exporter of crude oil and holds 10% of the world's known oil reserves, almost all of which are in the Alberta oil sands, it's actually quite remarkable how little international climate funding we attract. She also points out that ExxonMobil, an American company, is using the same argument that Kenny uses, uh, that the Rockefellers are conspiring to end them in favor of their industry counterparts. Thus, the Rockefellers must be trying to kill them in favor of each other. The Rockefellers are in fact divesting in ExxonMobil earlier than other fossil fuel companies because they think ExxonMobil is immoral, possibly because they lied about climate change for decades, but they're also divesting from American fossil fuels in general, and the Rockefellers are a comparatively minuscule funder of anti-pipeline initiatives anyway. The biggest funders were William and Flora Hewlett, who gave around $2 million a year until 2016, when they presumably saw how they had failed after Rachel Notley released her climate plan. Furthermore, both American and Canadian oil production has grown massively over the last decade. Garasino also writes, quote, over the last decade, the tar sands campaign got a whopping 0.3% of its major funders' total grants budget. That number barely counts as a rounding error, and it's falling. She also notes that Tides has actually given no money to the tar sands campaign and proves how a consulting shell with no employees in an attempt to seem important suckered Vivian Krauss and then the CBC and then Canadians across the country into believing it into believing that it alone had blocked approval on pipelines and influenced our elections. On who's responsible for whatever success the tar sands campaign has had, she writes, quote, It's the power of public opinion and the strength of indigenous and BC environmental expertise and culture. Their leaders and activists are seasoned veterans who've been honing their skills for decades. Above all, indigenous nations' mastery of court challenges cannot be overstated, and court is the ultimate battleground where the fate of the Transmountain Expansion Pipeline will be determined. In a tweet regarding her estimated total of under $2 million a year that Canadian environmentalists get from Americans to oppose the pipelines, Garasino said, quote, 
For sheer unadulterated victimhood, nothing beats Calgary's oil and gas corporate sector, which whines about environmentalists getting $2 million a year. She then lists the 15 highest-paid executives in Calgary, 13 of which are in oil and gas, and who collectively take home $162 million a year. But what's really disturbing about this is how widely accepted and printed and talked about this so easily debunked conspiracy theory is. It has been repeated by the CBC, Global News, and other outlets across the country. And it's outlets like the Calgary Herald that are more and more vehemently spouting this nonsense and whipping people up into a useless and unintelligible frenzy against Canadian climate action. The Calgary Herald, meanwhile, is run by Post Media, a company that recently hired Jason Kenney's former chief of staff to lobby his government on letting Post Media be a part of his $30 million war room against environmentalists. So we have a huge media company using its influence to spread conspiracist lies about Canadian environmentalists and then trying to profit off the public funds that are being allocated to spread those lies further by a government that has benefited and been influenced by those very conspiracy theories. So we have a company, Post Media, spreading lies that helped a government, uh, that helped elect a government, and then it goes uh, to uh, then it goes for public money uh, to help keep spreading those lies. I'm not implying that Post Media was responsible for Kenny's election, but a lot of people in Alberta, especially, believe uh, these ridiculous uh, lies. Yeah, there's well, there's a bunch, obviously a bunch here. I would also point out that uh, guess who one of the major benefactors will be of the of the Liberals' plan to uh, to sub to subsidize media, Post Post Media. Yeah, the Liberals are subsidizing Post Media. Well, they will be subsidized. There's there's this move in the Liberals uh, that have been doing us a while to to try to s- prop up the failing general media legacy media that exists across Canada and hopefully you know increase media more generally but a lot of the ways that they're sort of you know that their that their funding will go will will is is top heavy it will end up supporting the larger the which honestly at this point post media owns almost all of the of the major newspapers uh, except for you know, there's a few exceptions Toronto Star is one of them why would you uh, why would it be top heavy uh, because of the, the the way that the it's structured, it's it's structured in a way that you can you can use it to fund some report a percentage of reporter, reporters work. It's it specifically focuses on 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 legacy stuff like writing more than other than more new newer media. You have to have a certain amount of staff to be eligible for it. You know, there's this, these things that are not that are that are ways that they really are meant to you know support. It, just, it's just the way it's designed. Like it's it, like a put support designer. They were like, we need to support the biggest media company. I, I think it's I think it's both a an attempt to prop up this sort of legacy media part of it because that's the most you know because how expensive some of those brands are, and then also because the people who have the biggest voice are the people who are the biggest. So you're you're dealing with this, and there's a whole question. I'm not going to get into the question of whether or not the any government should be funding uh, funding media in in a direct, any sort of direct way. I think they're. Coming at it as at least at least they did at least I believe at some point slightly improve this plan. Uh, it was a very bad plan. Now it was like it was moved out to be like a medium bad plan. Um, but but I want to talk more about about Kenny specifically and in the really what is happening in Alberta and the way that we are shifting in this in this in this field, which is that the the what I don't understand really, um, or, or or at least what I would I, I would call into question. Uh, the fact that the major the major talking point are surrounding uh, the, on the conservative side of, of the spectrum more often than not is that big government is is, is uh, that is authoritarian that there's too much there's too much oversight there's too much control from big government mm. and and that that should be uh, and then that and then that is that is a problem we should have a smaller government and then they turn around. And spend thirty million dollars as ba- to create basically create a harass your pop your populace war room, you know, mm-hmm. um, and in, in in so much so that Jason Kenney has a video. There's a video of Jason Kenney uh, talking basically talking about how how much harder it is or how much better it is in Russia because they jail because of the other treatment of Greenpeace activists and about how wow. easy how much easier it is like he's he's literally praising these dictatorships for the way that they put it they they, they treat environmentalists and and that is. If that is not an overstep of state power, I don't know what is. Like this is the thing. They don't seem to believe that envi- that environmentalist cause can be an authentically attained position. 
Right. Well, not to mention the fact that you know, I'll get to the other part. Sorry, Sarah, jump in. I'm just saying that you know that it's it's not a changing politics. A lot of these people, a lot of these high up people on the right, really do just naturally have authoritarian instincts. It's just that the political winds will change and make it more and less acceptable for them to show their colors. But these, this is not. Oh my goodness, what has come over the right in this country? No, 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 no. There's a certain portion of the population that is just fascist. And this stuff just appeals to them, and we need to acknowledge that some of these people have a lot of power. But but like the the what's what I don't I guess it's like it's like it's it's just one of the things where I, I sort of come back to these weird these weird parts of which of when you decide you can trust government when you can't seems like a very very interesting delineation that that these people make right trust but verify. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like we, like we trust you that you will not arrest me basically for my environmentalist beliefs, but you will arrest the right people for, for trying to protest whatever you feel like. And on the other side of it, you know, but I don't trust you to spend, uh, you know, your, this money on helping, you know, not helping, on helping people effectively. It, it just, there's where trust is extended to the government and where it is not is a very odd thing, I think, and that it should be sort of looked into a bit more. Mm. But of course, the the you know we've covered this about that that Jason Kenney is not alone in this sort of ramping up of rhetoric and ramping up of actions to to cut down on on protests uh, and to and to and to really much more specifically attack you know individuals and um, you know especially we're going to see very shortly um, I believe it's it might be even today. Um, or it's very soon, whatever it is, the, that Greta Thunberg has joined uh, a protest in Alberta that is, mm. that is, that is, that is, that, that is coming, that is coming to their, um, that is going, that's going to end up on their doorstep. And well, she's an agent of the Rockefellers that must be. But, but like, here's the thing, ended. like, like, like the, the idea that the, that, you know, we've, I know we keep coming back to this sort of like question of foreign funding, which always comes to me back the idea that like you, the companies that are operating the tar sands are foreign companies <laughs> like 43 percent yeah and, and that is you know and again that's and it's, it's decreasing which I, I think is actually a concern like i think canada needs to realize that foreign companies are actually getting out of the tar sands in part because of the fact that it's actually a good they're worried to become a stranded asset so i think that that should be a warning to us that we should not keep betting on this but anyways like this idea that these massive global companies or that the canadian association of petroleum producers which is like you know one of the most powerful lobbyist groups in canada is somehow this maligned industry that these that these young children um, and, and and youth are 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 somehow the 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 dangerous bad guys in this story. It's like I just it just yeah. doesn't track. What's disgusting is that it's not even like oh they're uninformed young people who just don't understand the world yet. It's that oh they're agents of. Uh, a shadowy group of of people who are our enemies. Yeah, it's it's taking away their entire agency as human beings. I just uh, one of my uh, my job now is just for your weekly reminder. So here's your weekly reminder that uh, Saudi Arabia, you might know them as uh, one of the leading oil producers and and a g- absolute definition of a petrostate, is investing billions of dollars of their oil wealth. I might remind you in trying to get off oil. Yeah, like like yeah, we need like so yeah, and like man, there's just if you're if you're being left behind by Saudi Arabia, you have a lot of problems. Let's be clear. Um, but uh, we are running out of time, uh, so please, last call. Please do vote on Monday, uh, and we'll come back next week and talk about where we all stand. Oh, and after after if you're live in Toronto, after you vote, you can listen live to me. I'll be hosting our live uh, election night coverage here at CIUT. You can catch me uh, with a, a bunch of rabble rousers here on Monday. Stay tuned for that if you're live in Toronto. All right. Have a great week, everyone. See you all real soon.